And so if you'll get your Bible and open it to Romans chapter 5, verse 17. And Mark, just give me the high sign when you're ready. All right, that's Romans 5 and 17. And I want to begin this morning to share with you about the gift of righteousness. All of us have some kind of an idea of what righteousness is. Usually when we think about righteousness, the first place that our mind goes is our own personal behavior. When we think about righteousness, we might think secondly about uh, the behavior of people in our household or friends or people that we know. We might then uh, look to the television set and, and uh, it's an election year, so we're probably thinking about people that are out asking for a vote and so our minds might go to thinking about their righteousness or lack of righteousness. But in one way or the other, when the word righteousness comes up, the first place we go is people. We think about behavior. We think we're talking about the behaviors of people. And so from the very beginning this morning, I want to set us in the correct and right context so that we understand that righteousness means right standing with God. That is the root meaning of righteousness. So anything that we say about righteousness needs to be understood not as a behavior, but as a position. Absolutely. Righteousness is a position, like a son or a daughter to their father. That's a position. So that's what righteousness is all about. If you found Romans 5.17, let's read. Paul writes, For if because of one man, Adam's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So you get the analogy. He's saying that through one man, death entered in through that man's sin, through that man's trespass. That death occurred in us because through sin, mankind became unrighteous unfellowshipable and Adam was put out of the presence of God and for the past 6,000 years of human history mankind has lived without right standing without righteousness and that's been the essential problem between God and man is that we don't have right standing with God and that's what Jesus Christ came to heal and to fix in our life was well, so he says here in contrast Adam passed death or unrighteousness onto the human race, but for those that received the free gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace that that produces, you will reign in life. And we'll talk about that a little later on. We'll reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Jesus brings us into righteousness. Let me put it to you like this. Jesus took the debt you deserved so that he might have the authority to share the righteousness he deserves with you. Let me say it again. You need to get your mind around this. Jesus took the debt you deserved because of your unrighteousness. That debt was death. He took the debt you deserved so that he would have the authority to share with you the righteousness or right standing with God that he deserves. You get that general idea. And, you know, I told you a couple weeks ago, you ought to 
You ought to collect a handful of verses of Scripture that you need to commit to memory. You need to know them. It would uh, be like living in a frontier, dangerous area and not ha keeping any weapons in your house. And uh, you could be raided at any moment. You need to have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You need to be able to reach and draw it out, just as Jesus did, and say, It is written. So there's a couple of It is written's that are in this message. Every verse of Scripture I'm going to use in this message need to be in what I would call your Tier 1 arsenal of weapons. You need to commit these verses to memory. And the one that I want to bring up to you right now that brings out this idea that Jesus paid your debt, the debt you deserved, He took in order to give you the righteousness that He deserved. That verse is 2 Corinthians 5.21. I quote it all the time. It says this, For our sake He made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And how many of you have heard me, I wear that verse out. God made Jesus, the Lamb of God, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, the gift of righteousness isn't about whether you deserve to be living, blessed, favored, and victorious, but whether Jesus deserves to live blessed, favored, and victorious. Do you understand? The issue of righteousness, see, pay attention. You're in church. Focus. Focus. The gift of righteousness isn't about whether you deserve to live victorious, blessed, and favored. Righteousness is about whether Jesus deserves to live blessed, victorious, and favored. Look, Jesus overcame temptation in Satan. Jesus lived without sin. His obedience to the Father was flawless. His love for us perfect. Therefore, he deserves victory over sin and Satan. He deserves oneness with the Father. He deserves to be loved. He earned that right. When he rose from the dead, having obeyed the Father on every level, loved us with a perfect love, he rose up deserving righteousness. He deserved to have his prayers answered because he always obeyed the Father. In fact, Jesus said, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. Why? Because he was in perfect harmony and perfect obedience to the Father. See, you and I, we begin to pray and we think, I don't think God's going to hear me. Why? Because deep inside of us is a sense of unrighteousness. We don't feel the confidence of right standing with God, and so we struggle with what? The consequences of unrighteousness or not having right standing with God, which is doubt, um, insecurity. We're not confident when we approach God because we see righteousness as a position based on our behavior. We see righteousness based on what we deserve. And many of you have been saved for years and years in your life. You've heard these teachings about righteousness, but still you struggle with that process in your mind. When you look back on the past few days or the week or maybe the trend in your life for some time and you say to yourself, you know, I really haven't been walking 
in Christ the way I should. I haven't really been putting the kingdom first. You feel deserving of less than righteousness. You feel condemned. And so you see righteousness based on what you deserve. So when you pray, when you try to overcome temptation, when you think you're going to break out from under oppression, there's a lack of confidence in you because you tie your faith to what you deserve, what you think you deserve. Are you listening to me now? But what are we saying about Jesus? Was that he became sin. He took what he didn't deserve, the death we deserved, he took upon himself in order to rise from the dead and have the right to extend to us the righteousness that we didn't deserve. He changed our deserves, if you will. Exchanging ours for his, and in our case, we got a really wonderful deal out of that. So, Jesus deserves victory over sin. Would anyone disagree? Jesus deserves triumph and victory over the devil. He deserves to have the devil tremble. In fact, there's no issue. Demons tremble at his name. Satan flees from the name of Jesus. And there is no issue. There's never a time when that doesn't happen. Because the devil has no choice but to flee in the presence of God or at the name of Jesus. He has no choice in the matter because Jesus is righteous. He stands, and who is he? He is the almighty I am. He is the eternal God. Hallelujah. So he deserves victory over Satan. He deserves oneness with the Father. It, can you ever picture a time where Jesus would intercede? The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession, where he would desire that something happen on your behalf and it not be so, that it not go forth, that somehow in the throne of God there would be a contention over whether what he wants to happen for you would happen or not? Absolutely not. Whatever he wants to happen for you, that's the will of God. In fact, the Bible says we should pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he deserves to have what he wants on your behalf happen. He deserves, if, you, if I could say it like this, to have his prayers answered. If he ever lives to make intercession, it's because he's ever answered. Can you say praise the Lord? He deserves to be loved. He deserves to have the Father's love showering on him 24-7. He deserves to live for eternity in the 100% favor of the Father's love. He deserves that. That's his righteousness. He earned every bit of what I'm talking about. Did he not earn it? We have been given that by grace, but he earned it. And when he rose from the dead, he rose with the right to spend that dividend out as he sees fit. And so he spent it on you and I. Praise the Lord. Now, he rose from the dead with the right to grant righteousness to you and to me. 1 John 1, 9, we're familiar with this verse, but you may not have thought about it in this context. Listen to this. But if we confess our sins, He, Jesus, is faithful and righteous. King James says just, justified, righteous. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the scripture says He earned the right he is righteous to forgive you of our sins. If he says your sins are forgiven, if he says you are the righteousness of God in Christ, he has the right 
to bestow that on you, does he not? Of course, because he is in perfect right standing. So because you cannot earn righteousness and I cannot earn righteousness, it must be a gift from the one who owns the right to give it. So I just wanted to say all that up to this point so you understand that righteousness has actually been paid for. He owns it and he owns the right to share it with whomsoever he will. So I want you to know that when the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, he is, he is justified when he calls you his daughter, when he says, I receive you as my son, he is absolutely authorized with 100% justification to extend that to you. He has the authority. So when you are feeling like you're not worthy, but he says, I forgive you, you're worthy, what should you do? You need to take his word for it. You need to receive it. The, so I'm talking about the gift of righteousness. Paul said, we receive the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace that it produces so that we reign in life. Hallelujah. Why do you reign in life? I hope you're beginning to see you don't reign in life because of your performance. You don't reign in life because of the offerings you give in church. You don't reign in life because of the good deeds you've done. And you don't fall short of reigning in life because of the failures that you've had in your life. You reign in life because of what He has done. Somebody say praise the Lord. You know, the Bible talks about his mission as he came into the world as one of being, bringing many sons and daughters to glory. The scripture says in Hebrews, that was his mission, to bring many sons and many daughters to glory. What is glory? I've taught it here before that the glory of anything is its function. The glory of the eagle is when it soars in the skies. The glory of the, of, the, of the dolphin is when it races through the waters of the ocean. It's doing its glory. When you see a great athlete and they're performing great athletic feats, what are they doing? We say, man, they're in their glory. When you see a great musician and they're just performing flawlessly, what do they say? They say, man, they're in their glory. Right? Being in your glory means you're being you are fulfilling the thing for which you were designed. You are fulfilling the, the thing that you were designed to do. So the glory of God, the Bible says God is love. He is in His glory when He is radiating His love. And when that love is being received, and when He is surrounded by children who have received that love, His glory is magnified through you when you gather up in His presence, when you worship, when you don't hold back when you're bold and you're willing to be a fool for Jesus and when you're dancing in His presence and shouting and excited about Him, His glory is being magnified through you. So His mission was to bring many sons to glory. Where was He going to get these sons? From among the unrighteous, dead children of Adam. Adam created a race of dead people, dead in unrighteousness. But Jesus came paid the debt in order to remove that debt of death from us and obtain the right to give right standing with God. So God's plan all along from the beginning was to come into the world as one of us. Then to succeed in perfect sonship. In his 33 years, Jesus was a perfect son of the Father. 
The heavens could not be silent. They broke out a couple times and God spoke right down over the area where Jesus was standing. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So he succeeded at being a perfect son. He succeeded at paying off our debt of sin. He succeeded at making you a son or a daughter of the Most High God by giving you his righteousness. He has brought many children, many sons to glory. So then we live in the righteousness, the sonship that he deserves. How did he make you a daughter or a son of God? By giving you what he deserves. He took what you deserved so that you can have what he deserves. In fact, I would say to you, if you were putting, uh, if you were putting this down on notes, the name of this message is Getting What Jesus Deserves. Getting what Jesus deserves. What a wonderful thought. I'm getting what Jesus deserves. Well, that is why he came into the world, to bring many sons into his glory. He wants you to have what Jesus deserves, not what you deserve. Can you see when you think about it like that, all of a sudden the concept of righteousness opens up to you. One of the greatest verses of the scripture, this is another one that should be in your regular verse uh, scriptures that you memorize. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, particularly down in verse 11, that's where we are, we're going. Listen to this. But we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels. He left. He was the eternal I am. In fact, I always need to say this because I, I want people to understand God wasn't an old man with a long beard with a little boy and a bird circling his head. We think of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We see the old dude on the throne. We see the young adolescent God, Jesus the Son. And the Holy Ghost is this kind of bird just flying around the throne room. And I know, that we, I know where we get these concepts from. This is going to be hard. The Bible says the wisdom of God is understood spiritually. So you're going to have to be spiritually minded to get it. Um, the fact is, God revealed himself to the Jews in the Old Testament. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. God is one. He may be manifested in those three manifestations, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, so that we can grasp the, the different modes and methods or ways in which he works among us. He is the Trinity or the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, because he has to be Holy Spirit to us. He has to be Son to identify with us. He has to be Father to love us and to rule over us. But I want you to understand that the God, the Son, Jesus, who came into the world, who he is. He said to Philip in the book of John, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Don't go looking somewhere else. You want to see the Father, here I am. You want to understand what is God. Does God love me? Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Does that look like love to you? Looks like love to me. Does it look like someone who will fight for you? Somebody who cares about you? Somebody who, who understands what you're going through? Praise the Lord. He'll stop the whole procession just to reach out to you. And did anyone cry out to him that he did not answer? Everyone called, you want to know whether God will answer? 
Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's who the Father is. It's Jesus. Hallelujah. So back to Hebrews 2.9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Now follow this carefully. Every phrase is critical. We see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for a little while. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So that by God's grace he would experience death on behalf of everyone. For it was fitting, everyone say, it was fitting. For it was fitting for him, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. For indeed, he who makes holy, and those who have been made holy, all have the same origin, and so he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. What is he saying? This is one of the most potent, pregnant, powerful, spiritual, theological concepts packed into three verses of Scripture that you're ever going to find in the Bible. To sum it up, to quantify what he's saying, he is saying, God who made you holy and you who have been made righteous and made holy have the same origin. What is that origin? It is Jesus Christ. He removed what you deserved so that he could give you what Jesus deserved. You could not be a child of God if you were still living under what you deserved because you and I deserve death and the hell that is, was created to consume and contain death. Don't ride death into hell. Spiritual death has a containment facility called hell. It was designed to contain death because in the presence of God is life. Now who goes into the presence of God and who goes to hell <coughs> is not this, excuse me, this ridiculous idea <coughs> that, um, and I, I don't say that in a critical way, but it, but it is absurd when you consider the real depth and the beauty of, of what the real answer is that differentiates between the, the destination of heaven and hell. Those that go to heaven are those who are alive. Those who go to hell are those who are dead. Don't ride death into hell. You see, sinners are dead. And Jesus came to make them alive. They are dead because they are unrighteous. Nothing lives outside of the favor of the Father. So, when Adam sinned and rebelled against God, he said, I don't need God. I don't need to hear the word of God or obey the word of God. I instead decide to believe a lie. The moment that you embrace a lie, you put yourself outside of the realm of God. If all the fire is sitting in here, there is no warmth, there is no fire anywhere else in the, in the sphere of reality, and you step out, of the facility where the fire is, what condition will you have? You'll freeze. Are you listening? If you are not in the presence of the fire, what are you? You're freezing. So if you're not in God, if you're not in Christ, outside of Him is what? No love. Outside of Him is what? No life. He is life. He is love. The world foolishly thinks that love and life and these things just kind of float 
they just simply exist in the atmosphere somewhere, or they exist in people. But the fact is, the Bible says love is not love. The Bible doesn't say love is love. The Bible says God is love. Love is the very nature of God. So if you reject Him, you're without love. The Bible says He is life. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. So if you reject Him, what do you have? Death. So hell is a containment facility for death. Don't jump on death like a surfboard because it's heading for hell. Don't jump on that train. Get off that train. Jesus is calling. Are you listening to me? He's calling. Get off that death train. Get on the life. Jesus came into the world. Receive that life. This is the way to think about it, and this is the way to explain the gospel. Everybody, can, not only people in the world, but, but, but uh, people in church, always try to torture the message of the gospel. They, they, they twist it and, and torture it into this whole thing about behaviors. Is behavior important? Of course it is be important because it is evidence of where you're rooted. Are you dead or are you alive? See, Jesus said a dead tree brings forth dead fruit. A live tree brings forth live fruit. You'll know every tree by the fruit. Didn't Jesus say that? So, yes, works and behaviors are important only because they're indicative of where you're rooted. If you're alive, you will act alive. You'll think alive. You'll speak alive. If you're dead, you're going to act dead, think dead, speak dead. Now, that doesn't mean that people who've been made righteous, and I don't want to deviate too far, but let me just say, when you are born again and you're rooted in Christ and you have life in you, you live in a toxic world. You live in a world full of temptations. Do we make mistakes? Do we sin sometimes? Yeah, looking at all the nodding heads. Yeah, absolutely. Of course we do, and mine's bobbing too. But it's not our nature. We're broken over it, and we flee right back to that source of life. Say, Lord, get this off of me. And the Bible says he's faithful and just to remind you, don't worry, you don't deserve death. You deserve life because you are alive. Can you say amen? So, um, now, so that verse in Hebrews basically says that he who made us righteous and those who are made righteous are of the same origin. That is what righteousness is. It is putting us in the origin of God. That is the glory of Jesus, that he came to bring many sons to glory. God is love, and so he created a universe with beings in it like himself that he could share and give himself to. And that is the glory of Jesus. I want you to think of it. Here's another verse for your little arsenal, Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Stop, pause for a moment. What he's about to say is, been prefaced by saying, may God give you understanding so that you may understand Jesus that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened and you would understand what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, when I was a young Christian, I used to hear teachings about our inheritance. As a child of God, God has given us an inheritance. And I used to hear about uh, teachings about, I'd read scriptures about our calling, how God's called us to be a witness and 
um, told us to serve him. But when I read that verse, it jumped out at me because that verse is talking about Jesus' calling. Wow, Jesus had a calling? You betcha. And, and Jesus was looking for an inheritance. When he came into this world, he put his foot on the path of obedience, a path that he knew would lead right through Calvary. He was born crucified. He stood before Pilate and he said, I've been waiting for this for a long time. I came into this world for what, what you are about to do is beyond your control. I, I entered the world aiming for this cross and what is on the other side of it. So Jesus was hoping to gain an inheritance. He was looking to get something. What do you think it was? Did he, was he short on money up in eternity and in heaven? Were there not enough angels? Was there not enough glory? Not enough, was there something he was lacking that he came and he needed to come down to earth and go through Calvary's cross to get it? What is it that he wanted to inherit that he didn't have? And the answer is you and I. What was not at his disposal? The fallen sons of Adam. Unrighteousness had put us beyond his reach and he came to get us. You see, too many people think that Jesus died for sinners reluctantly, holding his nose, hating sinners. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so, I like to say it like this, God so loved the world that he suited up in his sun suit and came into the world. That was God who made you, who became you, and died in your place on Calvary's cross. He so loved you, he wanted to inherit you. Somebody say, praise the Lord. One of my favorite verses, and here's probably, this might be the last one I share. This is another one for your little collection. 1 John 4, 16 and 17 says, And we have come to know and believe the love that God has in us. God is love. And the one who resides in love resides in God, and God resides in him. By this love is perfected with us so that, let me change the way I emphasize that phrase. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. So do you understand that God is love and he has put his love in us and through this, love is perfected in us so that on the day of judgment, what is the day of judgment? When our lives are, are brought before God, and the accounting of where we stand. Do you know that you will go, if Jesus is Lord of your life, if you've received him, you will go not to that judgment where sinners are judged, but you will go to a special judgment called the throne of rewards or the judgment seat of Christ where those who receive him, you see the judgment of death, it's going to be a different judgment than the judgment of life. People that are brought into the judgment of life, are they enter heaven with their names already written on the citizen roll. So heaven isn't where you're going. Heaven's where you're from. You just haven't seen your house yet. I mean, you just haven't seen your, your property. You haven't seen it with your natural eyes, but honey, you're there. The Bible says you're seated with him in heavenly places. So the fact of the matter is that God is saying, 
you must have confidence on the day of judgment. Hey, praise the Lord, I'm not, I'm not entering the throne room of God nervous that I'm going to be kicked out of heaven or I'm going to be rejected. No, I know I'm accepted in the beloved. So that by this, love is perfected in us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. Now listen, here it is. Here's the money phrase. Because just as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. How is Jesus is? He's great. He's risen. All those things, right? Could we sum all that up and say he is righteous? Can we sum all that up and say he deserves to have every prayer heard? He deserves to be perfectly loved. He deserves to have Satan flee from him. He deserves not a single trial, but to have absolute victory. The Bible says he is sitting and reigning. Can you say amen? amen? So, as Jesus is righteous, so are we in this world. As Jesus is, so are we. This half of the room is going to help me. As Jesus is, so is, so is, so. Do you get it? As Jesus as Jesus is, so are we. So what I'm teaching you is I'm teaching you the new covenant is so clause of righteousness. There's an is so. When I was a kid, when we couldn't come up with a way of arguing our point, we just said is so. When we knew something was right. I remember how I learned that there wasn't a Santa Claus. My little brother, two years younger than me, were out playing. And I was all excited because Christmas was around the corner. And I said, I can't wait for Santa to come. My little, my little toughy, my little tough two-year-old, uh, uh, two-year younger brother says to me, there's no Santa Claus. I, I wanted to smack him. I said, what? Shut up. <laughs> see, how confused, see how confused I was as a youngster? And I said, is so. And my brother said, I said, you lie. Where'd you get that lie? He said, dad. <laughs> so we went to see dad. But, but the point is, obviously, my brother was very confused. And I had to straighten him out. I had to whip out the is so on him. All right? You get what I'm saying? As he is, so are we in the Bible. So if you get what I'm saying this morning... You may not remember how to explain all of this theologically. Can you say, is so? And you know in your heart what you're talking about, is so. Glory to God, the is so clause. So no wonder that Paul said, by this gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace that it produces, you will reign in life through Jesus Christ. Now here, let's just put this into a punch, a verse, a, a statement with punch in it. Because in Him... In Jesus, God changed what you deserve. In Jesus, God changed what you deserve. He just simply took what you deserve, put it under the blood, took what Jesus deserved and put it in front of you. Just did this. Are you listening to me? Stand up, Giselle.
I'm just going to pretend that I'm, you really use your imagination, I'm going to pretend to be God. And she's standing before me, wonderful girl, God loves her, but she's a sinner, she's lost, she's unrighteous, they can't have fellowship. Jesus comes, he takes her debt of sin, pays for it through the blood of the Lamb, but because he has become one, he's one of her cousins, he's a, he's a human being, he's a man, he's a person, he decides to represent her. He pays for her debt of sin. So God takes what she deserves, puts it back behind Jesus under the blood where it's dissolved forever, takes what Jesus deserved, righteousness, and he gives it to her. That is now who she is. She is now in Christ. Thanks, Giselle. She is in Christ. The Father always sees her as having not righteousness like Jesus, not even, listen, not even righteousness that her faith created. Stop thinking that the level of your faith produces the level of your righteousness. Her faith in Jesus did not produce the righteousness that saved her. All it did was open her to receive the righteousness that Jesus received when he rose from the dead. She's living with his life. How many times have we quoted Galatians 2.20? I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me, gave himself for me. Somebody say praise the Lord if you're getting this. Glory to God. So no wonder Paul said you're going to reign in life through this. Look, at here's what it comes down to. If you abide in him, then you deserve to be healed. If you have his righteousness, you deserve to be healed. Let that sink in. Those of you that got an itch on, under your arm or a pain in your elbow or cancer is, is, uh, is uh, raging through your body, if you abide in him, you deserve to be healed. When Satan says to you, Sickness isn't going to leave you. Remember the say-so clause. The is-so clause, rather. When the devil says, sickness isn't going to leave you, is so. Is so. See, you think when you say to the devil, is so, you are making a statement of your will. But that isn't the case. When you say, is so, you're making a statement of his will as he is so am I. Come on. As he is, so am I. When the devil says sickness isn't going to leave you, is so. Because as he is, so am I. Do you understand now where faith finds its path into the presence of God? If you abide in him, you deserve to overcome. Even if you're weak, even if you fall into temptations, you deserve to to overcome. You deserve to have victory. When the devil says to you, victory isn't yours, the enemy says to you, you just keep falling on your face. You go through this all the time. He says to you, victory isn't yours. Is so. As he is. See, you've been trying to overcome with your own determination. You've been trying to use your own righteousness. You've been saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buck up spiritually and you know, I'm going to get myself together. Why don't you just get yourself to Jesus? Amen. He's got you together. 
Hallelujah. Is so. So God says that by this gift of righteousness, you will reign in life. Hallelujah. You will reign in life. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Why? Because He changed what you deserve. Why is there no condemnation? Is it because what used to be sin is no longer sin anymore and now I'm free to just go commit these, these things that used to be sin? Absolutely not. Sin was and is sin. But why is it that there's no condemnation? And without getting into an elaborate explanation of, of what happens when Christians sin or fall short, just for the sake of making this point about righteousness, let me say to you that the reason why there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ is because what you deserve has been changed. You don't deserve condemnation. You deserve right standing. You are in right standing with God. You don't deserve death. You deserve life. Not based on what you've done or not done, but based on what Jesus has done. You see, if you understand righteousness, it keeps you connected to Jesus. It keeps you connected to Jesus. People I know are afraid, well, if I believe that, then it's going to give me a license to sin. No, because it's all about staying connected to Jesus. You can't do that and stay connected to Jesus. If you stay connected to Jesus, you don't want to go out and rebel against Him. You want to obey Him. The righteousness of Jesus Christ stirs in you and I the desire to obey the Father, the desire to overcome temptation, the desire to love Him and to be loved. Amen. It affects, changes, transforms your life, beginning with how you think, how you feel, and eventually how you behave. Somebody say amen. amen. You reign in life because not only is there no condemnation to those who are in Christ, but it goes on to say, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. What I deserved before was the fact the law of sin and death used to say to me, When you fail, when you make a mistake, when you sin, there's nothing for you but death. The law of sin and death. That's what the law of sin and death said. When Brandon sinned, there's nothing for you but death. But when you receive the righteousness of Jesus, your eternal destination's changed. Hallelujah. You, what you deserve is changed. You're now in right standing with God. You're not under the law of sin and death. You are under the law of the spirit of life in Christ, which means if you sin, fall short, make a mistake, the law of the spirit of life in Christ says, says, if you fail, make a mistake or sin, there's nothing for you but forgiveness and a rebound. Go up and make that shot again. Forgiveness, go try it again. Shoot again. Do you get it? Game's not over. You have the spirit of life. Under the law of sin and death, game over. You shoot, you miss, game over, you lose. Under the spirit of the law of life in Jesus Christ, you shoot and miss, get up and shoot again. Amen. Do you get it? You're forgiven and you get a rebound. You get a do-over. Somebody say praise the, praise the Lord. 
Now, does that mean that when we go out and sin, there aren't consequences or it doesn't have an effect upon our life? Doesn't impede our progress? Yes, of course it does. Yeah, when you go out and rebel and sin, it, it can mess up your plan. It can, it can have an effect on your, on your momentum. It can have an effect on your, your progress. But in that rebound, you can recapture and recover a lot that was lost. But thank God, whether you recapture or recover everything or whether you don't, the fact is you don't die. You deserve life. And God's answer for you is when you miss Shoot again, you're forgiven. Somebody say praise the Lord. Let me have our uh, servers come up. This is Communion Sunday, and we are going to receive the Lord's Supper this morning. If our, uh, if our servers will come and get this ready. This is the perfect transition and altar call this message this morning for our communion service. Because Jesus, in the night that he was betrayed, when he took the bread and he took the wine... And he said, this bread represents my body which is broken for you because you're broken. And I am going to take your brokenness on myself. And then after the broken bread, when Jesus took the cup of the wine, he said, this cup represents my blood filled with my life. I'm going to pour my life out. The blood that I'm going to shed to pay for your sin is living blood, not dead blood. You see, when you shed your blood for your own sin, it's dead blood anyway. There's no life in it. But the blood that Jesus poured out that covered your sin couldn't die. It was living blood. Therefore, Jesus was raised from the dead. Because though he paid for sin, he never did sin. So there was no place for him to go but up. There was no place for... No way for him to recover but to live to spring. There was no way that this thing was going to end up any other way other than a resurrection. So when he broke the bread and he poured out the cup and he said, take this and remember. Do this in remembrance of me. What do I want you to remember? What you deserve has been changed. That's what this table's all about. Jesus said, I have changed what you deserve. Remember this when you come. Remember me. When you show the Lord's death until he comes, as Paul said, you are showing life. You're showing that in his death, what you deserve died. When you come to this table, just remember any burden of condemnation or sin that you need to confess before the Lord. He wants you to know it died with Jesus but you are living with the resurrected Jesus. He rose up, caught you on the way up, and took you up to glory with him, wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. And the Bible says that because people fail to receive this concept, they reject that righteousness, they continue to be sick, and some of them, Paul said, even die, which means that the very opposite is true. When we receive communion, we receive the Lord's Supper, and we receive it in faith, and we receive that righteousness that is ours through the communion of our life with His, healing is ours. He deserves to be whole, and so do you. He deserves to be victorious, so do you. He deserves to be loved, and here's what I've been waiting to say this all morning. 
You deserve to be loved. Remember that. Remember that especially when you want to be hard on yourself, especially when you're disappointed in yourself. The Father looks at you, and He is radiating His love on you because you deserve to be loved with the love that Jesus is loved with. He changed what you deserve. Now, don't ask me to tell you how God does it. I just know that He does. I've shared with you this morning the facts as the Bible presents them. And that's all that He asks us to believe are the facts. You deserve to be healed. You deserve, through Jesus Christ, to be forgiven, to be loved, and to be victorious. Stand with me. Heavenly Father, I just say thank you. Thank you this morning for the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon the truth of your word when it is put out and preached. And Father, I thank you for your anointing this morning. I thank you for the things that are going to happen in people's lives as they come and share at the Lord's table today. I thank you for the victories and the healings, the breakthroughs of love and acceptance. I thank you for what righteousness is going to impart. I say, Lord, I, I say I thank you for the abundance of grace that is going to go forth upon all of the people who come in righteousness to receive from you in Jesus' name. Now before we take another step, if there's anyone this morning not right with God, you're not confident either, number one, that Jesus is Lord of your life, we're going to pray, and you can ask Him to come in and be the Lord of your life, or number two, um, you know that you're saved, but you've been in one way or another just kind of running from Him, but this morning you're turning your heart to Him, we want to come having made the decision to receive Him as Lord of our life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I come boldly to the throne of grace. I believe Jesus Christ is you, came into the world to make me a child of God. Lord, here I am. I take it. Thank you for taking away the death I deserved. Thank you for giving me the righteousness that you deserved. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.